Second hour from 9 to 10, we'll be joined by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry in just a moment. And then we'll also be joined by David Lesky from Inside the Crown in the first segment. Let's get into it, right? we got a lot of great guests. Let's start right now with Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. As always, Nick is brought to you and presented by El Bandito Yankee Tequila, the best tequila out there. Go to your local Hy-Vee and pick up some of the gloriousness that is El Bandito Yankee Tequila. Nick, how are you? I'm good. You know, it's it's funny. I watched the, the game again, and um, I don't feel as badly as I, I did before. I... I I, I still see too many dumb mistakes where Juwan Taylor's offside or Kadarius Tony drops a pass. Of course, we know about the most famous uh, offline since D Ford <laughs> lined up yeah. off offside by three three inches. By the way, I hope against hope Sterling that the referee crew in that game against the Patriots when the Chiefs were three inches away after intercepting Tom Brady then had been called back because D. Ford was was offside, lined up offside by three inches. I hope that wasn't Carl Sheffers also because Carl Sheffers is the thorn in the side of this team. He was the uh, head of the referee crew in the Tampa Bay Super Bowl when we had two ridiculous calls against us that, absolutely hammered us. I mean, we remember Andy Reid's, you know, son and that distraction and COVID and not coming in a week before, coming in two days before the game. But the deer caught in the headlights look on that team, so that was profound too. But Carl Sheffer's head is reared, ugly head is reared again. You know, why is it that this guy continues to be part of controversies? And now, by the way, I can also hear what Marty Schottenheimer would say, which is, if you spend your time saying the world's against you when so many people think we actually have the referees on our side, uh, you know, then that's not a, that, you're not a winner. You're a loser. But it is an interesting factor. And uh, there are those that think when you have a game-changing play like that, when you've not had in 25,000 different plays in Andy Reid's career only one offensive offside, lining up offside ever, that is interesting. Bottom line, though, is guess what? It comes down to are we going to be the kind of team that can be defeated by one bad call? Because if that's the case, if that's the case, then we're not champions. We're not going to be a dynasty, the dynasty that we are right in the middle of. So, uh, you know, we have to balance that out and see it for itself that it's more about execution, more about the wide receivers continuing to get better. The only one I see getting better right now, frankly, is Rasheed Rice. Um, but uh, in overall, I'm not as depressed about this team. I really felt like they played with heart. Chris Jones had a good game. Carlotis had a good game. Trent McDuffie had a good game. Good to see Nick Bolton back. Um, but that combined with something of a threat in the running game, maybe if Pacheco's back, you know, that gets us back to that edge. But overall, it's about tightening the screws. And it's too bad we're 8-5 and five and not 9-4. and four. But guess what? Miami lost, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, and ironically, the Green Bay team that put together a perfect game against us almost uh, didn't have it the next week. It would just happen to be that we fell against Green Bay in a game when they just you could do no wrong. Nick, I want to ask you this, because Mahomes has been so cool, calm, collected almost every single game, his entire tenure, seven years in the NFL, he seems to be the the 
perfection, right? He, he does nothing off the field. He Everything on the field is by the books. Such a good, solid dude. We don't Never complaining about the referees, including when he was asked about it the week before. Yes. You know, when, when, when MVS was interfered with, absolutely interfered with. And I think it's the frustration of having to do so much and not having, except for Travis Kelsey and Rasheed, which is, which by the way, when they line up together, that is a problem for other teams. So it's nice to see that coming into itself. Um, but other than that, poor Patrick, you know, he's got to do too much. And, uh, you know, he may be the best quarterback we've seen in a generation or more, but in the end, the whole team has to play. The whole team has to win. And defense has been doing it. Offense is not that far away. But when we're scoring 17 points, when we're averaging 19 points a game, we cannot win a Super Bowl with that. I want to ask you this again. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry is our guest because the Chiefs fell to Green Bay. They had their worst defensive performance of this season. That's basically been their only bad defensive performance. Part of me is sitting here going, I hope the Chiefs aren't wasting this incredible defense, and I hope the Chiefs aren't wasting what has been an immaculate season from Harrison Butker because the offense can't get right. I'm sitting here thinking, you know, if we said in the preseason uh, that, that the offense would be the issue, I don't think how, how many people would have believed that. But yet here we are heading into Week 15. What can be done at this point offensively that can take advantage of the great defensive performances as well as the perfection that is Harrison Butker? Well, I, th- this may be boring, but, but it, it's just so true. You know, you establish a running game so that your play action works. Uh, you don't, uh, you provide enough protection so that unlike that Tampa Bay Super Bowl, uh, Patrick Mahomes doesn't have to run laterally all day. And, and then you, you look at the matchup. So, you know, I mentioned last week, you know, to have Noah Gray there as extra protection because we have some issues uh, while our offensive line uh, in the middle has been good on the outside it's been at best a C plus uh, having that extra tight end especially when he lines up near Travis it, it, it creates not only more support for the protection side but it also can be the quick release behind Travis where they really it's almost impossible to stop him so that matchup with Rasheed number four and number 87 that shows itself now, um, and then it's execution. When you have one penalty when you're driving, and that penalty puts you back, and now suddenly, instead of when this happened a couple times in the game, when instead of third and seven, it's now third and twelve. That changes a great deal, and so there is a, a lack of execution excellence that has to be tightened up. And the irony of it is, for anybody that watched the games last night, right? The games last night went down to one or two plays, right? The Monday night games were both that way. The com- competitive level is so great now that anybody can beat anybody at any given day, more so than ever before. So one play makes a difference and one penalty makes a difference. One offside, one lining up too far back, Juwan Taylor, uh, you know, one drop pass. So execution becomes critical. And in bad weather and intense games, that becomes more important. So uh, the the truth of it is what we've been saying all along. Andy Reid is one of the greatest coaches and teachers in the history of the NFL because he corrects and corrects 
and corrects and tightens up and gets better and better. So that's my optimism is we simply keep doing that until we break free. But I do not see, without a deep threat, without a deep threat, we don't have a deep threat and never really have had since Tariq left. Um, Juju gave us a little bit of that in the playoffs last year in the Super Bowl. But without that, we are not going to be scoring 35 points a game. When it comes to some of the offensive struggles outside of just the wide receivers in regards to the penalties, in regards to the red zone struggles, as well as the turnovers, and even to an extent some of the play calls, and I guess even some of the mental lapses at times, if you want to lump in the Kadarius Tony offensive offsides in there, where is this coming from? I know, you know, Andy Reid's teams in the past, they've had been some heavily penalized, but but not to this extent. Where is this coming from in your mind? Well, I mean, I don't want to spend time scapegoating. Uh, you know, I, I just think there, when you have a model where everybody has to just take it up a notch and not just point fingers. But, you know, the big change is Matt Nagy. And so... It is that transition. It's it's how things are taught. It's how clearly things are done. And for whatever reason, that's just not been as consistent and as tight as it has been. And uh, I'm not enough of an expert to say anything more than that, except that there's been a transition, and Matt Nagy is an excellent coach. So let's hope that this is a learning curve for him as well, because in the end, you can have the best language the best scheme, but you have to be able to translate it to your players. And right now, um, you know, we're averaging 19 points a game, and it's uh, it's not enough. In fact, every game that we've given up more than 20 points, I believe we haven't won. So, When you take a look ahead at the Chiefs taking on the Patriots, obviously originally a Monday night game, but the, the Pats are just so bad. NFL said, no, we got to scrap that, move that back, move that up earlier, I should say. What are you looking forward to this matchup in this game? Well, uh, like us, the Patriots have a good defense. I mean, they may have lost 6 to nothing a couple weeks ago, but they only gave up six points, you know, and then they came through. We had a better performance this past week. So uh, if there's one thing that's always true, it's don't take anybody for granted. You know, don't get arrogant. You know, I always talk about I have fun when I do interviews on Texas stations. And uh, it's interesting now because the Cowboys and the 49ers are the class of the NFL, particularly the, the 49ers, but the Cowboys too. And when I'm on, on a Texas station, I always tell them, will your fans please tell the Cowboys to STFU? <laughs> shut the you-know-what up and stop talking about how good you are and be that. Marcus Allen, the greatest leadership he provided for the Kansas City Chiefs in 1992-3-4 was act like you've been there before. Don't spike the ball. Hand it to the ref. You know, for me, it was one arm up if I made my field goal, and if it's a game winner, it's two hands up because the game's over. <laughs> but are you spending all your time talking about how good you are you know, and, you know, let's face it, we've had a lot of advertising, a lot of unbelievable, wonderful, well-deserved attention to Travis and Patrick and, and Andy and this amazing team, this dynasty in the making. But you've got to stay focused and you've got to stay hungry. You've got to stay humble. And for the most part, the Chiefs have been, but it's that edge. You've got to, in the end, want it more than the other people. And in a game, this is a kicker saying it, 
I learned I couldn't sit on the edge of the bench. I had every quarter I had an offensive lineman or linebacker hit the hell out of me in my shoulder pads, slap me on the helmet even just to keep my blood, my head in the juice of the game. And I'd watch the game, and that helped me emotionally. Well, think about that. If that's true for the kicker, at least that helped me. Uh, and by the way, Harrison Butker is just, just absolutely phenomenal this season. It's better be all pro. Um, but with the other positions, it is emotion is crucial. Harnessed emotion is what football is all about. Combined with strategy, no sport in the world is better than the National Football League for the combination of harnessed emotion, power, speed, violence, and so much strategy. Chief Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry is our guest. All right, Nick, we, we've come down to this. Come down to the El Bandido Yankee Tequila Player of the Game as we the tell. The El Bandido moment. The moment. I liked it even more than the player. All right. What's the El Bandido Yankee Tequila moment from the Chiefs-Patriots game upcoming this weekend? Well, I thought we were going to have a breakout game on offense this week. And I'm not sure what it's going to take against the Patriots, but it certainly is going to be not making mistakes. So there's the negative. But the positive side of it is to find a dynamic player. I love Jarek McKinnon and what he brought on that seven-yard touchdown. He was stopped after two yards, and then he just has a knack. He's small. He can hide behind his blockers, but he can follow his blocks as well as anybody I've ever seen. So I'm going to go with Jarek McKinnon, a couple magical plays. And then, of course, George Karloftis. I think it's 10 sacks now for him. Uh, you know, and once again, a la Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey, to have Chris Jones and Karloftis playing off each other the way Derek Thomas and Neil Smith did. That's a beautiful thing to watch. So if there's an offensive player, Jarek McKinnon, if there's a defensive player, George Karloff is continuing that wonderful thing. I think we're over 40 sacks now, fifth or sixth in the league in that department. Um, But do not take the Patriots for granted. That is the worst thing, and that's what a champion does better than anything, is redouble its efforts, especially when it matters, and that's what's made us a dynasty. Will the Chiefs be taking advantage of the lighter load? And hopefully, as you mentioned, not overlooking the New England Patriots. Score prediction time now, Nick. What do you have? Uh, I'm going to go with 24 to 16. Uh, I think that uh, we're not with with the Patriots defense um, and with Bill Belichick. I, I just don't think, especially with weather being what it might be in New England this time of year, I think that's the best prediction. Is not a high scoring game, but a game where our offense is a little bit more consistent. And hopefully, Pacheco with his shoulder is back. Um, had a couple nice plays, by the way, by Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, but there isn't that dominance in the running game, which would just complete the picture for us. I will say, everyone listening right now, that that's a celebratory victory, which means you need to go and get the celebratory El Bendito Yankee tequila. But you know what makes a great gift for Christmas time, Nick? I would say uh, the El Bendito Yankee Reposado at High V. Buy about ten of those bottles and wrap them in a nice little ribbon with a big smiley face and maybe a mini football on top. And there you've got all you need. You're going to put smiles on the face of ten different people. See, look at that, Nick. Families. We're, we're, giving, we're giving Chiefs, NFL, sports talk, as well as Christmas advice. You don't get there anywhere else. Only here. 
Yes, and, and there's nothing. I've been testing out, you know, in my scientific lab, I've been testing out hot chocolate and El Bandito Blanco, mm. and it, it's working pretty well. <laughs> well, hopefully the Chiefs work pretty well against the Patriots. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. Nick, always a pleasure. Thank you, brother. Go Chiefs. We will take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to the home stretch. Sterling Holmes joined now by David Lesky from Inside the Crown. Lesky, let's go, baby. Royals, they're going to win the World There's Series. News. There's news. The offseason World Series outside of the Dodgers or the all big spending teams like the Yankees, but from the positional battle of pitchers who are aging a little bit, who are still solid. The Royals are doing decent in that run. They're they're making some moves, and <laughs> um, you know it, it's it's really about raising the floor. Um, I, I I always say I'm, I wrote about this a little bit, but um, probably probably honestly not enough. Um, there are two ways you can really improve your team, and both ways actually end up doing the same thing, um, but. One way is to sign top-end talent and add to the top of your roster and all that. The other way is to push the bottom of the roster off the roster. (laughs) um, I I looked at this, we talked about it probably like in August. There was one point when the Royals had allotted double the plate appearances and double the innings to the Giants, who were an average team in 2023, to players who were sub-zero wins above replacement. Um. There's a, it's a really easy way to go from however many wins to 10 more. <laughs> and, and that's what the Royals are doing here. Um, not to say that Seth Lugo isn't worth more than that. I think he's a, I think he's a, a perfectly average starting pitcher. Um, I think Chris Stratton is a, maybe a slightly above average reliever, but per, probably let's call him perfectly average. I think Will Smith is slightly above average, I think. Uh, Nicky Anderson is above average if he's healthy, yeah. but because of his health, he's average. You know, I mean, there, there's they have they, they've changed they've turned the bottom of the roster into the, the middle of the roster is now the bottom of the roster from last year, and the and and that's that's going to help. That that's this is how you take the first step is to fix the bottom of the roster, and they're give give the Royals credit they're doing it. When it comes to Nick Anderson, I'm going to start there first because that was one of the first moves the Royals made. I've always been a massive fan. I understand the injury concerns that come with him, but he was phenomenal for a couple years with Tampa. Um, His curveball is absolutely nuts. And again, if you want to look at some of the analytical numbers, they back this up. His fielding independent pitching, which, I, I again, we're, we're getting kind of nerdy here on you, um, it was 2.35 in 2019 uh, when he was with, uh, oh yeah, overall 2.35 in 2019, uh, or 2020 was 1.35. Um, again, and then 2021 he was injured. So the small sample size, even just going back to 2020, dude had a .55 ERA. The curve yeah. is absolutely filthy. Can can he try and recapture again? I'm not saying he throws up a .55 ERA here in Kansas City, but can he get back to his nasty curveball, great little uh, fastball combination that made him so electric just a couple of years ago? 
Yeah, I mean, I think he can. It's just it, with him, it's a matter of health. I, I think if he's on the mound, he's he's performing. I, I just, you know, not again, not to the twenty twenty level, like you said. But if, if he's pitching, he's he's going to help this team. It's just a matter of how how many innings can he give them. They, they want sixty five from him, let's say. Um, but you know, <laughs> they might only get thirty five. Um, sure. So I, I think, yeah, I think he can get there. I think he's. He, to me, he's a guy you don't want to be your closer because you're likely going to have to find another closer at some point because he's going to miss time. But he can pitch in the back half of games. He can be a seventh, eighth inning guy. He can get you to that that end of the bullpen. And and you know the Royals blew a lot of games. <laughs> they they lost a lot of games. It wasn't actually an inordinate, num- inordinate number, but when you are a bad team, a good way to become, this is another thing, a good way to become a mediocre team is to win the games you're leading. You know, if you take a lead after six, win that game. <laughs> and, and the Royals didn't do enough of that last year. And you look at what they did. They have 56 and, and 106. Um, I, I have no numbers to back this up. I'm just throwing it against the wall. But I would bet if they had an average bullpen, they win eight to ten more games. And all of a sudden, you look at a 64 to 66 win team a lot differently, yes. I think, because because the 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 step to get to 81 isn't 25; it's 15. 15 is doable. 25 seems impossible. Um, and you know, the, the the reality is what the reality is. They were 56 win team. There were some metrics that showed they were actually better than that, but they weren't on on paper. So it's. What happened happened, um, but they're but Nick Anderson and and and, and Satin and Smith and, and these guys are that that they're how they're how you raise that floor again. Like I said, it's not I and mean, I'm not reinventing the wheel here, but that's that's what that's what you have to do. Uh, again, David Lesky from Inside the Crown is our guest. Let's hit on Chris Stratton. The deal from Mark Feinsand is per source three point five million for twenty twenty four with a four and a half million dollar player option for twenty twenty five. 3.92 ERA last year, 81 strikeouts in 82 and two-thirds innings for a mixture of St. Louis and Texas. Uh, obviously, he won a World Series with the Rangers. Um, 33 years old, spending eight years so far in the majors. What are your thoughts on on uh, Chris Stratton? Stratton is he's different than, than some of the other guys because his game is fastball. Um, and it's not a hard fastball, but he if you look at run value, which is um, – a good way to to gauge a pitcher's individual pitches. His fastball is one of the best in baseball last season, even though it only averaged, I think, 93, 93.1, something like that. Um, it's a good pitch. His breaking ball is not great. He's going to get strikeouts. Um, not He's not going to lead the league. <laughs> he's not going to be um, Felix Bautista or anything, but he's, or, or Manuel Clase or whoever. Um, although, maybe that's a bad example. Clase strikeouts won't lay down. But he's, he's going to strike guys out. He's going to be an acceptable reliever, and for three, you're not you're not getting more than that for three and a half million. So, um, kind of sounds like I'm actually talking bad about him right now, but I'm not because you need these guys. The Royals had Colin Snyder pitching the innings that Chris Stratton is now going to pitch. They had Jackson Coar pitching the innings that Chris Stratton is now going to pitch. It's you. I mentioned pushing the pushing the bottom of the roster or middle of the roster down to the bottom of the roster. Signing Chris Stratton and again Anderson, Will Smith, all these guys—they they, they all—it all kind of works in tandem. 
puts Carlos Hernandez back into a low leverage spot, middle relief. How many teams? Uh, actually, the answer is a lot of them. Actually, what I'm about to say, <laughs> they think about it. Um, but how many teams have 99 plus velocity with the wipeout splitter and slider that Hernandez has pitching in middle relief? Yeah, like and, like 18 teams now in, in Major yeah, League Baseball. Yeah, it, it, it's more than you like. But the Royals weren't one of those teams, and now they are. Yeah, now they have that kind of stuff that when Jordan Lyles gets bombed. Carlos Hernandez is coming in on the fourth inning. You're not saving him for an 8-7 to seven lead in the eighth. He is the guy who comes in on the fourth or fifth. That's, that's a plus. That's a, that's a big improvement for this team. And it's, it, just, it just makes everybody – having competent middle relievers makes everybody better. When I'm looking at what Stratton and Max Reaper, shout out to him for, for getting the statistics on this one, um, opponents hit just 188 against that four-seam fastball you were yeah. talking about, even though it's only 93. Um, and he throws the slider curve change, but the ground ball rate was the highest of his career last year at 45%, um, which is interesting to me because you think of Kaufman, and I think you think of fly ball pitchers typically having the best success there because it's a large stadium. But when you have an infield as talented as Kansas City, whether that's uh, Bobby Witt Jr. and uh, Michael Garcia, um, whatever happens at second base, you know, eventually you're hoping Nick Prado can take over at first base. If not, uh, hopefully Vinny is serviceable there. <laughs> well, no, not going to happen, but yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, I'm just saying. But you have a very talented infield, right, defensively. That does make some sense. It does, and um, you know, the, the thing about fly ball pitchers in Kauffman Stadium, home runs will go down, but they're going to give up doubles. Yeah. Um, and don't, don't tell Jordan Lyles that home runs will go down. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't even want to know what it would look like if he didn't pitch in Kauffman Stadium. Put um, him but, in Colorado, okay, oh and go back to the juiced ball and then I mean, all, did, and also he did get. pitch in Colorado with a juiced ball. Yeah, but, 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 but hear me out. The, the final ca- caveat. Let the, the early 2000s, late 90s steroid era come to play so you can see allegedly Sammy yeah. Sosa also with an allegedly corked bat take BP, uh, BP off him. That would be very entertaining. Give the guys metal back. Um, but, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're right. The infield defense is a, is a big plus, and that's another reason. And I, I reached out. I haven't gotten a, a, an exact response yet, but the Lugo news came, and I, I had a source who was telling me that, hey, Stroman – to the Royals is very real. It's not obviously done, um, but it's it's a very real possibility. He's not sure if that's still a possibility. If it was Stroman or Lugo, you know, sure. fifteen million dollars for Seth Lugo is a lot. But um, that's why Marcus Stroman makes so much sense. He keeps the ball on the ground. They've got a good defense. You know, <laughs> it it adds up. Um, and I don't know. I, I think that it's it's given the makeup of this team. It's a good strategy to get guys who keep the ball on the ground. Um, you know, it's it's a it's 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 a way to win games. You look for any advantage you can. You build your team around the players you have, and I mean, I don't really care if they build around. I think of you know Michael Massey. I like I like Michael Massey. He's good. He's a good defensive second baseman. He's got some pop. I think there's upside in his bat. I'm not building around what Michael Massey brings. I think he's a guy who you're fine with as as long as he's hitting sixth or lower. I think you're fine with Michael Massey, but you're always trying to improve on him. So you're not, you don't care about that. But when you've got a left side of Bobby Witt and Mike, Michael Garcia, yeah, build around that. Mm-hmm. Build to that strength. Because that strength 
there could be trades, of course. But that strength is there, and that strength is is what makes up the team identity. And so, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. When it comes to Seth Lugo, as you mentioned, three-year, 45 million, 15 mil per year, that final year is a player option. Again, the, the Royals trying to get some, uh, obviously they're trying to entice some players to come to a team that's not competing for a World Series this season. So what do they do? They add the player option. I'm actually a fan of that, of course. Uh, I want the players to do well. But anything you can do to get these players to, again, as you mentioned, make the middle of the roster uh, better to, to to make the the bad dudes fall off the back, and so now you're you're dealing with these sort of players. I am a huge fan of. Again, no salary cap, ain't my money. I like you guys spending it. When it comes to Seth Lugo, he's been back and forth from a, from a starter to a reliever. Obviously, he started a lot of games early on in his career. Last year, he went back to a starter after having a very nice few seasons as a reliever. Last year, three point five seven ERA. Um, you look at the ERA plus one fifteen, so he's better than average. You look at fielding independent pitching, three point eight three again so nothing wonky there this was a very solid player last year again the one caveat 26 starts only 146 innings what are your expectations for a guy like seth lugo yeah it's, it's interesting um and by the way that i, I did the math that it, it's 17 outs per start um five and two thirds innings that there's solid nothing wrong with that. i mean i know that you're gonna have a lot of people who watch baseball 30 years ago who are screaming right now how can you say there's nothing wrong with that? It's the way the game is. Yeah, I mean, Lesky, I'm not going to lie. I, I see 146, and I automatically think, yeah, you know, I would yeah. like, I'd like to. And even me, who's 29, is still saying. Well, but you're, you're 29 going on 70. First oh, of all. dude, you you uh, you have no idea how old I am. My old takes, they're they're. I'm I'm an old man at heart. Think I don't know your old takes. Come on, let's whatever. But the point is that in, in today's baseball, five and two thirds innings is. I mean, yes, I would love to get a guy who averages seven innings per start. I don't think there was one in 2020. <laughs> so um, maybe, maybe I, I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe Cole did or something. But um, yeah, it, it, it's perfectly fine. I, I'm writing this up right now. You're really interrupted my writing. So oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're um, welcome. My subscribers are mad at you too. Just FYI. But um, and if you're not one, you should become one. But, but again, yeah, 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 plug away right now. Inside the crown, into the crown. Substack.com. I got 25% off through uh, January 1st. I read it every morning when you put an article out whilst I drink my coffee. Okay? If you're not subscribed to Inside the Crown, David Lesky and myself will be very, very disappointed in you. Yes. Uh, Sterling will come at you after his morning back treatment. Um,. You know what? I shouldn't joke about that because I do a lot of stretches with my yeah, back. I do, I do have a bad back, too, yeah. You, you, yeah, anyway, that was nails. The, the, there, there's concern. Lugo is, to me, not a slam dunk. Um, personally, I would say find the next Seth Lugo. Don't find this Seth Lugo because you're over. You're paying for what the Padres done last year, which the Royals are in a position, it's whatever. I mean, it's fine. Um, three years and $45 million, and, and the last year being a player option, my, my concern, is that option doesn't get exercised unless it's bad for the Royals. Sure. <laughs> like, if, and maybe that's not fair because he'll be 36 years old, so maybe he just says, yeah, I want to do a one-year $15 million deal anyway, so I'll exercise it. Um, but the odds are he is declining that if he's not good enough or if, he's, if he has two good seasons, and he's not declining it if he has two bad seasons or one or the next year's bad or whatever. So there's really only – there's no upside for the Royals in that. Um if it doesn't impact signings, I don't care because they've shown that they will walk away from a the player. 
with Mata and Deal. So as long as it doesn't impact the signing, which theoretically the 2026 season should be one that they are competing. If it's not, it doesn't. Nothing matters anyway because everybody's getting fired. So I, I guess as long as it doesn't impact signings, I, I guess I don't care that much about it. Um, but it's a lot of money for a 34 year old who has made 20 or more starts once in his career. It was last season. Mm. He has been a reliever, and, and yeah, there's reliever upside. But for 15 million dollars, that's a lot of money for a non-elite reliever. So um, they're they're, they're they're paying the bad team tax here, 100%. And that third year is the bad team tax as well. Um, my, my concern about Lugo actually on the mound, his curveball was just an absolute hammer for years. It was okay last year. It was fine. It was not a great pitch. Um, Given a 280 average on it, 375 slugging percentage, it was serviceable. It got The whiff rate on it was like 26%. It was 30% the year before. Um, he'd sub 200 averages, sub 300 slugs the last couple years on it. It was not that last year. Now, I would say that's from starting. That's from hitters seeing it multiple times. That's from him throwing it differently because he really filled up the zone with it. Um, he got a lot of contact on it because he was throwing more strikes than the edges. Because when you're out there for 15 to 20 pitches, you can waste two or three. But you can't do that every single inning with curveballs if you're starting and you're trying to get through six. And so I think that there was a different way that he was pitching that last season. And that impacted his best pitch. But he was still successful. And the other thing about it is he has a slider that has the sort of shape that I think can be really good. And he only threw it 9% of the time last year. The Royals, this regime, has had a history of taking pitchers with good curves and adding a slider. James MacArthur, Cole Reagan. They've done it before. Um, I would not be surprised if they work with Seth Lugo to get that slider to be more of an impact pitch, and that will mitigate some of the issues he had with his curve in 2023. Again, can't see the future. Don't know if that will happen. But that's where my optimism lies with that pitch for, for Lugo. Ultimately, yeah, I, I'd, I'd much rather they sign. I don't even know who wants to, wants to go from. From, uh, well, they, they could have had Shohei Otani for for the next ten years for just three million per year instead of two, right? That's true. Yeah, they could have <laughs> offered him seven hundred five million, um, and only deferred and deferred six hundred seventy five million, and, and, and then above the Dodgers offer. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, he he makes the Royals rotation better. Um, if you look at it from that lens, it's a good signing. If you look at it in the big picture, it may not end up being a good signing. But, 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 but Lesky, kind of just really quickly, I, I get what you're saying, and I'm on the same page. And if this was a salary cap era or a salary cap sure. sort of sort of situation, I'd say, yeah, maybe your money's best spent elsewhere. But when there's no salary cap and when the Royals have – you know, for a few years now, they've they've not had the highest salary in the in Major League Baseball, or even close to where I think you and I would like them to be. I'm not gonna poo-poo a team spending money on guys who are at least slightly above average, right? The well, jo- the Jordan Lyles deal, I, I think, if I recall, I know for a fact I didn't like that move because I didn't think Jordan Lyles was good. Now, I didn't like the second year on, that. I was fine. Sign anybody you want for a year, see what you can get. It's great. The sure. Second year is my problem with that. Just like the third-year player option is my problem with the Blue deal. Okay. Fair. It's not, and, and again, it, it goes back to, this is me looking at it from all angles. From the Royals' 2024 perspective, he makes the rotation better. And again, 
if if the sal if if the salary commitment doesn't stop them from doing something, even if it's a bad contract, I don't care. They can give them a hundred million a year. It wouldn't matter to me as long as it doesn't stop them from getting something they actually need in a year where they can actually compete. Fair. That's that's my only caveat there. And yeah, I mean if 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 they if that doesn't if that doesn't stop them, I don't care what they spend on anybody. And and the other side of it too, again, I, I mentioned Marcus Stroman. Um, I've there's rumors about Lucas Giolito and Jack Flaherty and others. I don't remember who. If Seth Lugo is your biggest starting pitcher acquisition, eh, okay, <laughs> it's, it's kind of whatever. But if he's the secondary acquisition, if if they do get. Marcus Stroman or Lucas Giolito, or they make a trade for, I don't think that this is going to happen, but Braxton Garrett or whoever. <sighs> okay. Now, now you're cooking a little bit. Now all of a sudden your rotation is Cole Reagan's, this other guy, Lugo Singer, and Jordan Lyles in the fifth spot. You can kind of live with, hey, we're going to get six innings every, every fifth day. Yeah. We might lose this game, but we're going to get six innings every fifth day. And that's, that's useful when the other four are actually producing. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't have a huge problem with a bad fifth starter who gives you innings when the other four are actually good. So that would that changes everything. And so, it, you know, every signing can be evaluated on its own, but also it, it, what else happens with that signing matters too. And we don't, we don't know yet what, what's going to be next. So that, that plays a role as well. And um, the other thing too Look at the depth of the rotation now. All of a sudden, your depth is, well, Daniel Lynch is probably still your fifth starter right now at this sure. point. Alec Marsh, who has big league starts. Angel Serpa, who has big league starts. Anthony Veneziano, Veneziano, I think is actually how it said. Um, he was, he didn't have done a big league starts, but he was um, really good last year in the minors. Uh, Jonathan Bolin, I'm, I'm missing people. I'm, I'm 100% forgetting Asa Lacey. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, but all of a sudden your ninth starter has pitched in the big leagues and it's not a guy, it's not Eduardo VSC. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not these guys who you're calling up and you're like, well, good luck kid. Here's enjoy, enjoy facing big leaguers, enjoy facing Mookie Betts. Like oh. they had to go get Alec Marsh who probably wasn't quite ready to face the Dodgers last year. Like that's, that's tough. It's good experience for him. And now he's one of those guys who you go, okay, well, he's your seventh starter, eighth starter, whatever, and, and has big league starting experience. That's great. Add one more starter. All of a sudden, Daniel Lynch as your sixth starter, I feel good about that. I actually feel good about that. Yeah. And so, again, this, this goes back to the very first thing I said. It pushes the middle of the roster to the bottom and the bottom of the roster off. And that's, that's how you get better. And I'm, I'm looking at this team right now, and there's still moves to be made, 100%. But I'm going, okay, I can see a path to 77 wins. Which, no, that's not your end goal. But after 56, 77 sounds amazing. Yes. Going to the park and knowing that you could see a win is very different than what we dealt with last year for most of the season. David Leslie. I mean, oh, sorry. I the games I knew they were going to lose. Well, we, we we did that almost every single game. Any game yeah. you went to last year, they knew that we, we were watching a game where if they won, that was the outlier. That was not the norm. Uh, for the first four months of the season, absolutely. And 
Now you with, with these moves, it gets to the point that you're like, hey, they can win this game. I don't. I'm not going to say I'd, I'd make the bet, but <laughs> they can win that game. David Lesky is our guest right here. I want to bring up one more thing before I, I want to talk briefly with you about the uh, the draft and the sixth spot and just, just your thoughts overall there. But the last guy that I'm very intrigued about, and this is my Alberto Mondesi of pitchers, I've always been a huge fan of this guy. You're going to laugh at me and call me an idiot, Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright, I love his breaking ball. I, I, I love his 2022. I get that that might be the one year we always look back to and say, well, he had that one year. He'll be 38 years old, and I'm saying, but remember 2022. <laughs> For, forget the wins and losses. He went 21-5, and five, but a 3.19 ERA, 180 innings. He was a 174 strikeout type of guy, very efficient. Um, I, I, I loved watching him pitch. And then he's been injured. He's not going to pitch his upcoming season, if I'm not mistaken there, Lesky. What was your take on this move? Because when I saw that they got anything, and I mean anything, for what was it? Was it Jackson Coar? Yeah, it was Coar. For They got a guy who was in unreal in 2022 for a guy who, quite frankly, with Jackson Coar, it wasn't going to happen here. I am thrilled, and the fact it was Kyle Wright made me even more excited. Talk me off a ledge of why Kyle Wright's not going to be a top-10 Cy Young candidate in 2025. Well, I don't know about top ten Cy Young, but I'm being like a little too optimistic. I get it. <laughs> I would say top twelve, probably. Um, but no, I, I like getting somebody who can help a future rotation as well, because it's there aren't many opportunities to get a guy who has been as good as he was. It was one season. You're right, and he struggled outside of that year before the injury too. Um, but I, I really like. The, the foresight there, hey, look, we're, we're done with Jackson Cohen. We're going to non-tender him. Well, trade him for a guy who actually can help. Um, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You traded Jackson Cohen. And, yes, you had a 40-man spot being, quote-unquote, clogged up throughout the whole winter before you could use the 60-day IL on him. Also, who cares? They have so many guys who can get dumped. I don't, I, I, have they made, I, I, since we've been talking, have they made the, the today's signings official and, and DFA anybody yet? <laughs> have you seen it? Because there's, there's two more guys who are going to go. And I don't think it's going to be any kind of loss. <laughs> like, okay, great, whatever. Um, so I don't really care about that so much. I like the I like the idea of you go get upside for 2025 and beyond. So I think he's under team control in 26. Also, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, I know he's under team control in 26. I, he might be 27 too. He might have three more years. I think it's just two more after this season. But um, regardless, it's a good move. It's a really good move. And if it doesn't work, okay, it didn't work. Trade Jackson Coar for him. Like, who cares? Do it. You do that every single day. I mean, I, I just mentioned Daniel Lynch as, as good depth. If you could go get, I don't even know who it would be, another guy who's out for 24, but you know he's going to come back in 25 for Lynch, do that too. It's fine. Do it with Singer. I don't care. <laughs> like, just get something that Singer's a bad example because he could bounce back and, and get a return. But, um, yeah, it's. I love it. I love that move. I think it's a good move, and it's a good move even if it doesn't work. All right, Lesky, before I let you go, I, I got to talk about the uh, the Royals losing the lottery yet again. Um, I, I think you and I differ here at least a little bit. I understand it. So we're on the same page with the result. The result sucks. The result yeah. is two scoops of ass. The Royals get the sixth pick, even though they should have been. Uh, they're the best odds to get the top pick, correct? 
Yeah, I mean, they were the second-worst team, obviously, but top three. The bottom three teams have the top odds for the number one pick. And, uh, well, in uh, Royals fashion, they basically got worst-case scenario here. Yeah, um, would have been better. Yeah, and so they're stuck with six. My thing is, I hate the result, but I don't necessarily disagree with the thought process behind it. I, I, I've never had an issue with the lottery in the NBA. I think it's interesting. I don't necessarily have a major issue with the lottery here, which I know makes me at least, uh, I think, in the minority here. Um, but just because the results are bad, because we're witnessing it right now, doesn't mean it's going to be bad forever. It's random. I kind of like it. In my opinion, it should, to an extent... Slow down tanking a little, even if it's not going to completely abolish it. I don't know your overall thoughts before you actually get into pick six here. Well, I have no thoughts about the lottery. I like what the lottery tries to do. Because I think tanking is a problem. And, I mean, I, I mentioned in the postseason I was rooting against the Orioles because of what they did to their fans. Like, I don't care that it worked. You put your fans through hell. Tanking is bad. So, that's... That's my first point. I think that there are details that need to be adjusted. Like, I think it's ridiculous that the Royals have been the last place team in the AL Central the last two years. And after next year's draft, all four other teams will have picked before them in one of the two drafts. They are the third AL Central team for the second straight year after being the last place team two straight years. I don't have a problem with, with curbing tanking. I have a problem with making it even harder when you're on division because of that. That, that is my number one biggest issue there. Um, I also think that there should be some provision. Like, so the Royals, were the, without a lottery, were the second pick. Um, they fell four spots. I think that the rule is you can only be in the lottery for a team like the Royals two straight two years in a row before you cannot pick in the top six another year, which is why I said the seventh would have been better. Because yeah, it would have been. Would have not started that clock. Um I think if your draft spot falls a certain number, and maybe it's maybe it's three, maybe it's four, maybe it's five, maybe maybe the world wouldn't qualify. I don't know, but if you fall from two to six, I feel like that shouldn't start your clock. I think that that's, or maybe it's hey, you can't be in the top three, but you can be fourth or sixth in that third year. Um, and there there are some finer point details that don't work, and are and the Royals and the A's. Um, in, in a different way, because they, they fell last year, too, and this year. Um, I think those two teams have been examples of why maybe it's not – maybe there should be some bullet points added. <laughs> and sure. So that, that's my thought. I think that there is just a little bit I, – I, I believe that you should not – I don't think that a, a team in your division can finish better than you should ever pick in front. So, like, if the Royals were sixth in the lottery – Cleveland can't be one. Cleveland at, at 76 wins or whatever it was can't be the number one pick. They cannot pick ahead of the Royals. They fall out of the lottery. And does that suck for them? Sure. But it's just part of the rules. I, I just I think that that's a little, or maybe it's one team can pick in front and not multiple. I don't know. But it, I think that that takes away a little bit of the spirit of the draft. Yeah, I, I think falling from, you know, from one, two, or three to six should not start your clock. Like that. Yeah, oh, or, like I said, I, I'm actually okay. I, I hadn't thought about that until I literally just started talking. 
But if you want to say they can't have a top three pick in that third year, okay, I'm fine with that. But they should still be able to pick fourth or six. Yeah. And again, I know baseball compared to other sports typically I feel like has more variance, right? So in the grand scheme of things, who really knows, right? Do you know? Is there a consensus top pick, top two? Like, for example, when the Royals did have the top two, right? It was Bobby Witt Jr. and Adley Rushman. That was that was obvious. You know, some years it is Bryce Harper. Some year it is and both teams nailed that. By the way, yeah, so. correct. They completely did. But other years, it's a complete crapshoot. No one has any idea. Even if it is the right guy, we're sitting here going, "Wow, whatever happened to that dude?" I mean, you look you look at the Houston Astros. People always talk about the guys they got right. Look at some of the names they got wrong. I mean, yeah. wow, they were wrong. Um, so I, I think in the grand scheme of things, especially in baseball, I think we're all mad right now. And again, I'm not saying I'm not mad right now, but also I'm sitting here going, all right, the Royals still have a, a six overall draft pick in a sport where I, I think it's very but, easy for, for teams to screw it up. I, I think let me, let me, they're really let me okay. Real quick, the other thing, by falling from two, let's, let's call it two, to six, they lose about $3 million in draft pool money also, which impacts how they can pick in later rounds yeah, that because sucks. they don't have as much money. And I, I think that there's an issue there too. Um, Wait, let's get so, you know, really, really quick with that, with that one. That, that, that's a little confusing because don't they still pick second overall from rounds they, two on? Correct. They do, but your draft pool money is based on the slot for that particular pick. So last year, I don't I don't know the exact numbers, but let's say pick one was ten million, pick two was nine million, pick six was six million. Um, wait, did I do that right? Eight, seven, five million. Um, it's not how it goes. It doesn't go one million per pick, but sure. So your draft pool money starts off with five million to nine million, and then pick one twenty-two versus pick one twenty-six. The difference there is like twenty-eight thousand dollars. So it doesn't actually change that much um, in the later rounds. The big, the big jumps are in the top ten in the first round, and so when you fall from two to six, you lose all that potential draft pool money. Because you go from that pick, that pick's pool to the sixth pick, and then everything else is two. But it's like the second pick, the sec- it's like two point one million in the second round, mm. and then the third round is like one point seven million. So the, the numbers don't actually, it, they don't fall proportionally with each pick. Sure, I'm just that that that's probably the biggest bummer right there is the start yeah. starting your clock and then the, and then the uh, the pool money because that right yeah. there is not ideal. But Lesky, I'm sorry, I will let you get back to your writing. I appreciate it. Everyone listening, go to inside the crown, into the crown David Lesky, if you if you like Royals baseball or let's say you hate the Royals but still want to learn more about them. Make sure you follow Lesky. You can also follow him on Twitter, or should I say the X at DB Lesky. Lesky, always a pleasure. It is. Thanks, Sterling. Good talking. Uh, We'll take a quick break. Come back. More home stretch after this. Briscoe, Briscoe, Briscoe. I don't think your mic's on. You, no, it's on. It's on? I don't hear you. I hear it very, very faintly. It sounds like it's on, but like it's not quite working. I can move to the other chair and we can try that mic. Let's do that. Let's do that one. You know what? It, it, it wouldn't be radio if we didn't have... 
crazy stuff happening. Hey, we're live over here, baby. Uh, put yeah, on this, now I hear you, your velvet voice. Put on this mic sock over smooth. here, and we're going to do Are you some Charlie Wilson? terrestrial radio. My Charlie Wilson? Why, Stu? voice is smooth. Thank you, baby. How are you doing, Stu? I'm good. Yeah, it sounds like it. I'm good. Yeah. I got coffee. I went that's, to a, went that's to a good. great concert on Monday. Which did you listen to? I, I did. I did listen to Lucky Penny. What did you think? Uh, it sounds like a real funky bop. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. Mm. Um, I, I can't remember what else I was listening to. Really. I did go back and end up listening. Are you a, you an Apple Music guy? Yeah, I'm an Apple Music guy. Okay, so we can't do Spotify or Apps Talk, but we, does Apple give you some sort of like year yeah, review kind a little, of thing? Little, little review here. I love Spotify Rap season, and uh, I, I pop back into some Killers because they weren't as high on my Spotify Rap list as they should have been. And, and man, the Killers are so stinking good. Do, do you want to guess? So Apple does top fifteen. You want to guess any of the bands on my top fifteen? Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. They were number one. Um, Kiss. Kiss was Ooh. number six. That's shocking ah. to me. And a great yeah. poll, Kyle. Um. I just I felt like Chili's at uh, one one was my was and my that, slam that was dunk. That was the lock. Um, blink on your in your top fifteen still? Shockingly not. I thought wow. they would be there. So I, there, there were some surprises on this one. Pink, Pink Floyd Floyd's was not, not a big Pink Floyd guy. Okay, I love a classic love classic rock. Obviously, Pink Floyd's been one of those bands for me personally. Don't do it. You, you like the Southern rock. That, that's right. Yeah, but it's mm, like the Eagles. I, I, I've had a long day, and I bleep and hate the Eagles, man. Um, What's your? Uh, what are your top five here? Top five, Chili Peppers, one. Yeah. Number five, Colin Hay. Don't know. Colin Hay, singer from Men at Work. Okay, love that. Fantastic. He has a solo album called Man at Work. And that's it so is good. just, it rules, dude. Okay. I love Colin Hay. Number uh, four? Charlie Crockett, big surprise. Didn't think he'd be on there. If you are a country fan, if you like a little more of the non-bro country, like yeah. if, if you're like, I hate, uh, sorry, strong. If I don't enjoy Luke Bryan, mm-hmm. Luke Bryan, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to like Charlie Crockett. He's okay. very talented. It's good to hear. Uh, number two is Dinosaur Jr. Don't I don't know this, but that sounds up my alley. That you would love Dinosaur Jr. They're, they're like '90s kind of grungeish, but like incredibly musically talented. The guitars just absolutely just they just rip, dude. Spectacular, just spectacular. And then number three, you should get. Yeah, come on, Fallout Boy. Yes. Wow, really? They had a great album coming. They out did. This they year. did. They yeah. did. They did. I, we talked about that a little bit on the Zone on uh, Tuesday with Lebo. Tuesday, little little factor fiction and. Uh, I, I my fact of fiction was fact of fiction. My top artist on Spotify this year was Fall Out Boy, which is in fact fiction. Um, but so much for Stardust was very good. If, if I would have given if I would have given that that album a little more time to settle, I, right. it, it could have been the one for me that, that just looped for a long time. Told you, I loved it. Yeah, six Kiss, seven Turnpike. I love Turnpike again. Eight Whiskey Myers again. That's, there's that Southern Rock for you. Nine Surprise Lake Street Drive. You know, the you got some real surprises. You got a real eclectic taste. And I knew this, but ten Black Sabbath. Sure. Eleven Motorhead, because I love. I should have guessed. I should have guessed Black Sabbath and Motorhead, honestly. Uh, Twelve Blackberry Smoke. There's your Southern Rock again. Love wow. Blackberry Smoke. Twelve. Thirteen Billy Joel, which feels like my fiance grabbed my phone. Huh. Don't really like Billy Joel. I like Billy Joel. He's fine, but like he's, he doesn't move the needle for me. But yeah. I, I assume that's my fiance grabbed my phone. And then fifteen Iron Maiden. Yeah, that's pretty good. I only got my top five on Spotify, but I've got you know individual songs. We got all sorts of stuff. Do you want to take a stab at any of my top five artists? Uh, Hot Mulligan. 
Hot Mulligan, I told you earlier, was in my top five. They're at number four. <laughs> the front bottoms. The front bottoms is on my hat. They are 1-1. One, one. We talked about this earlier, too. Fall Out Boy. Fall Out Boy was not in my top five. Panic at the Disco. Panic, not in my top five. Wow. Panic fell off really me. hard for me. The yeah. old stuff still holds up, but still I will slap. Sometimes, if you spend like a month listening to the same album on loop, that artist is going to end up pretty high. Um, which happened for a couple of so you got you got my number one and my number four. I think you're secretly give <laughs> the joke. He's all bands or big we... Morgan Wallen fan. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. He's all over. Um, here's here's my here's my number five is a band called Vansire who I've listened to one album oh. of, but it's like a it's like a very low key. It's like my it's like study focused music with a good kind of vibe to it. Well, you're no longer in school, so why are you using study focused music? Focus still focus slash relax too. Um, and then Hot Mulligan was at four. Death Cab for Cutie number three. Uh, they had an album come out too. I think their album actually came out last year because they were. I think they were one one for me last year. But mm. I've listened to that album a ton. They've, and I went back into the archives. And number two behind the front bottoms, Tyler the Creator. Maybe second year shocking. in a row, real high in the top five. So it's shocking, but not shocking. It should that should not be shocking at all. I I, I think I think Tyler the Creator and Death Cab at least were both in my top five last year. I didn't know he really was still out making music odd future. Uh, Tyler? Oh yeah, dude. I, I think he has has truly not a pun because of one the album Flower Boy, but I think he has blossomed from from Flower Boy, Igor, Call Me If You Get Lost, like he, he, and then also he had a little uh, sort of deluxe edition for Call Me If You Get Lost called The Estate Sale. Um, the song oh, that was going to be Call Me If You Get Lost, and it was me perpetually calling because I have the worst directional ability out there. Yeah, like, I'm Bind's Bad also. Like, hear me out. I'm sorry, like, not sorry by Tyler Chris, my third top song this year. Great song, unbelievable. You, you know, like MVS on a deep route. Yeah, that's me trying to get from my house to anywhere. Yeah, you just you try to run to safety. Yeah, which yeah, is what MVS. I, does. I, Run to safety. Run to safety. I run like a pretzel. All of a sudden, like I've seen this before. Why am I not going straight? Why have I all of a sudden seen 95th and Antioch four times <laughs> from every different angle? GPSs were good for people like us. It may have helped make people like us, where where we are reliant on the GPS because we're reliant on the GPS. But ooh, top point five percent on uh, front bottoms listeners. Let's go. What's wild is I think I can get to Louisville. In like St. Louis and Columbia, like far away. Yeah. Easy, easy. I can get there. Don't even need anything. But when it comes to like going, I don't know, 15 minutes from my house, they're like, yeah, yeah I'm like, dude, come on. Come on. I live in South KC Mo. So when I have to drive into the city, like there is. There are too many options and too many exits and too many pathways downtown, for me to get anywhere. Downtown is the there's 37 highways. Yeah. So I just I'll, I'll let my phone do it and I will keep myself on the road. I won't crash anybody. We're gonna be fine. Thank you for talking about music with me. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, it was kind of more of a... I wanted to ease into... Yeah, what do you want to do? Talk about the Chiefs wide receivers? Yeah. I don't... Hey, Stu, I don't think they've gotten a lot better. Hey, just be you, says Mahomes to Kadarius Tony. And says Matt Nagy on his play sheet. I wish Dylan was here for that. No offense, Kyle. I'm glad you're here. Dylan really hates Matt Nagy's play sheet. I think he's let I think he's let off this take a tiny bit, so I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna um rope him back in here. But for a long time he hated that that Nagy had like basically two postage stamps size spot on his play sheet that just said B U when he was the head coach in, in Chicago. Uh-huh. And Dylan for whatever reason, man, got us go. He's like, but you're you're using part of your play sheet to just write a message to yourself or the team or whatever. And uh so that, no, I think of B U, I think of Matt Nagy. But your beautiful personality show is Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, um, there are different ways of doing that. I also think uh, it's the same thing when I see people who have their last name tattooed on their back. 
Mm. Like, 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 when I lived in like Philly, I'm good to Jersey Shore, and you'd see yeah. that, and I'm like, is that so? Like when you pass out, your boy's like, oh, dude, there's Johnny. There we well, go. His last name well, wouldn't might be, be Johnny, probably. So, yeah. well, you if you saw some of the um, alleged roids again, we're gonna do allegedly on this show. Sure, um, but come on now. Um, you still don't have any tats, right? We've talked about this. We've talked about you yes. getting the the Chili Peppers asterisk at some point somewhere. Yeah. Um, Kyle, are you a tattooed gentleman? I feel like Kyle he would not. have a Marines tattoo on him for some reason. I don't know why that he is. There's a lot of a lot of army and military gear. I feel like uh, you were right there in our ears and not over the air. I, I think Kyle. Oh, that's okay. We were the wrong button. We, we were we were hanging out. No, I'm a West Point football guy. Yeah, he's yeah. big. Big. Uh, that army shirt gets a lot of use, and so I thought, you know what? Maybe he has a little army tattoo. Yeah, I Kyle. I don't know what this says about either my perception of you or you as a person, but if if I just found out one day that you had like a massive like back or chest tattoo, I would not have been surprised by it. Or like wings, like I'm some biker. Yeah, like, like I don't Tim know, Duncan, like, like the Tim Duncan Deacon Devil, or uh, what's it, the Deacon? Is it Wake Forest Deacons, right? The Demon Deacons. Demon Deacons. If you had that logo on your back, I would not be shocked. I would. That would be specifically shocking to me. But I'm just. I'm saying, you seem like a guy who could have some hidden tattoos somewhere. Like, maybe, I don't know. Like, you, you, like here's a guy who I don't know if, if you you probably know this too, but like Rudy has like. Three tattoos that you can't see almost ever, mm. but he's got like a couple like memorial tattoos and stuff, which like that, you would pass that vibe check for me, Kyle. Sterling, I think, would have a really bad time getting tattooed. Maybe that's what it is. If I could see you just like dealing with a six hour tattoo appointment and just being just, just ice through it all, where I think Sterling would weep. I would cry. I would, would be let us bored. How much funny is not happening? Yes. Well, yes. Bored. You'd be completely. You think I could sit in the same spot for six hours? Six hours, you would have some little breaks. Six hours is kind of a long time, but you know, you don't need you don't need all that time. I was I was going with a bigger project there. How often do I just waltz around the station because I can't sit in the same spot for three minutes? Yeah, way more often than I like. Yeah, but my point is, I couldn't sit still for six hours as needles are getting pulsated in and out of my body. You just have no. Do you, can you? Huh. All right. So let's talk about this. Do you, can you? Sort of like zen yourself out at all. Like if you're like, hey, because here's the other thing is you are you are a little squirrely sometimes. You, you're you're a high energy fella that has some real bouncy energy. But I also know that you're a smoking jacket book reader type of fella sometimes. And I feel like in those, are you yeah. are you centered in those moments, or do you? No. Or am I finding out right now that I've been imagining this all wrong? And you are reading books one page at a time, and then like going and getting a snack, and then coming no. back on the next page. No, no. When I'm reading my Tolstoy. Yeah, I am in my robe. It's a smoking jacket is what yeah, I was going yeah, for. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's a nice, just uh, long enough to cover rad. the bed. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, nope. It's like a mini skirt. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say the knees. Uh, yep, knee yep. Line. It is a. It is. It is a. Uh huh. I got it. I know what you're getting with. Uh, you wear, you're wearing a onesie, and I uh, have my nice bourbon. Uh, yeah, I have my nice bourbon. Take me this way. You're also sending texts to the boys sometimes. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes you get the texts from the boys. To I'm, the boys. Uh, I'm drinking my uh, right now. It's the Jeptocrete. I got it in Louisville. Right now, can I have some? Uh, well, not right now, but that's what's on my bar cart right now. Okay, I had the big ice cube, the yeah. thick boy. Yeah. Oh, tell me about that thick boy. And I drink that bourbon while whilst wearing a robe and learning. 
and entertaining yeah. myself with war and peace. I'm more on the peace side, though, I found out. What's I, wrong with Warren? Uh, <laughs> Jalen Warren needs more PT instead of Najee Harris. That's the, what's wrong with Warren. The laughter you can hear through the glass is the highest compliment that you can get in yeah. radio, and, and that really did give her from the And, and Kyle thrives doing that. Oh. Kyle is very good at when you make a joke. It might not even be great, but if you hear that laugh, all of a sudden you think that you are Dave Chappelle. It's it's awesome because it's even it's even more accentuated when you're just like hosting solo. So I'm sure you also you have this experience frequently when I mean, you don't have a guest in or whatever, where. If you literally have an audience of one, and right there I had an audience of two, and you like kind of exhaled, <laughs> smiled, and moved away from the microphone to preserve the science, the silence, and Kyle laughed, I could hear it through the glass. Right there, 100% of the people who heard my joke laughed at it. Now I'm imagining that there are millions of people listening to it over the radio now. Sure. And it's prime time. And to me, I'm, I'm batting one million for one million. Like, I am, I am shooting 100% here. This is George Brett's... Uh, 390 season. That's that's yeah. how it feels. That's how it feels when you when you get two for two in the in the laughter in the room. Yeah. Um, that is both the the pros and cons of radio, depending on how delusional you are. Hey, hey, Briscoe. Yes, do just be you. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, I wish I had a play sheet that said that on it. I I, I also love you. Make one mistake. That's not going to define you. And it's like, well, if it was one mistake, no one would be that angry. The issue is, it's been multiple. Pretty much every single game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. like in the MVS draw. I was like, you know, the dude makes one mistake. Like, no, it's every single game. That's a yeah. $10 million mistake. That, yeah. uh, sorry, I just, I, I, I find myself getting so irrationally upset. Because, again, the Chiefs are still realistic going to win the AFC West. They're now entering their easier part of their schedule, which, again, means nothing when you're not playing good football. But they're going to make playoffs. And so I'm sitting here going, you know, 10 years ago, I would have given so much, at least two fingers, to have this sort of success. Yet here we are, and I'm complaining. But at the same time, I understand the Chiefs' defense won't always be this good. Yep. They've had one bad game all season long. This might be the peak right here. Against the Packers. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. Like, you need to stack wins when they're giving you an opportunity. They hold the Bills to 20 points. Imagine you say that any point in the Mahomes air, they hold a great offense to 20 points. Especially a great offense with a poor defense on the yeah. season. And you're sitting here, and I'm like, they can't do everything. Eventually they're going to get tired, as you saw as the game progressed. Like, they make these huge stops, and then the Bills are like, I mean, the Chiefs offense is like, we'll go three and out for you. Get back out on the Yeah, field. get back out there, back guys. You guys are doing good. We want to see you do more good stuff. And then Harrison Bucker, again, knock on wood, has been unreal. But how often can you count on a dude to literally be perfect? It's happened five times in the history of the NFL, field goal-wise. Butker and Brandon Aubrey this year for Dallas are two of the five. It's only been, I think, one other year, or one other player, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it was two other players, uh, outside of Butker who've made all their extra points and field goals. Hmm. And a lot of those extra points, guess what? They weren't this length either. So this is, again, you're having a historic season from your kicker, and a a historic season from your defense, in in the Mahomes era, historic-wise. Yep. And you're eight and five, and this is about the worst team we have seen in the Mahomes era. Like, I don't want to see a team that's this talented get wasted because wide receivers can't catch the ball. Again, the offensive line's been really good, even with Donovan Smith having penalty after penalty with uh, with uh, Juwan Taylor as well. Wanya Moore steps in, and all yep. of a sudden he looks good. Looks pretty good. Noah Gray, your second tight end, is like, oh, finally, 12 personnel looks exciting. Isaiah Pacheco's good with the rock. Clyde's looked the best he's ever been since he's been here in Kansas City. 
And yet we're sitting here going, because dudes don't know where to be and can't catch the ball, they're floundering. Travis Kelsey would tell you to shut the bleep up right now based off of his new... It wasn't that aggressive in, in his New Heights comments, but uh, it was really interesting to hear him talk about the receivers and Tony and where they're at as a team right now and all of that. But one of the things that Kelsey said, again, I think it was really interesting and insightful, and I'm glad that he like takes the time to do that because it's, it's, I mean, you know, incredibly profitable for him, but also interesting for us. But he said something about, you know, this this team still being right at the top of the AFC, we're eight and five and we're in the mix and all of that. And and that was actually one of the things one of the few things that Kelsey said that, that I kinda like cringed at a little bit. Yeah. Not because it's like bad excuse making or whatever. Not it's not because what Kelsey said was wrong. It's because what he said is right. That they are in the mix amongst the best teams in the AFC and that's just not the standard they've, they've set for themselves. Uh, after the Dolphins lost on Monday night, uh, Zach Eisen tweeted out like I don't know if I should feel better about the Chiefs or worse about the Chiefs after watching the rest of the AFC, and and I think it is exactly both of those things. I feel better about the Chiefs because the rest of the AFC is still wide open, and I feel worse because the Chiefs feel like they're the team that should have slammed the door. It should not be a wide open AFC. It should be the Chiefs and then a bunch of teams who are going to try to give them their best shot in January and see if they can get there, but really, it looks like we are on path for a Chiefs-Niners Super Bowl rematch or a Chiefs-Cowboys Super Bowl rematch that the Kansas City should be the team in the AFC that slammed the door because they have the defense and the special teams and the quarterback obviously the most important part there they have all of that firing at the same time and the offensive line the offensive line is still pretty good it's, it's not it's not a top five unit but no. it's not the reason they're losing games absolutely and you've got MVS dropping deep passes Sky Moore taking absolutely no steps forward whatsoever. Canarius Tony having drops in week one and then lining up offsides against the Bills. Um, it, it is it is pretty bleak. The AFC also the most predictable the position stands for ass. I will say with Canarius Tony, I like him getting more run. Yes. In general, like I, I was thrilled by that. The snap count, I think they got it right against Buffalo. And I know folks will see saying cut Tony, cut Tony, but I'm sitting here going, yeah, right. start Sky Moore. That's also what you're saying. Yeah, you're saying we want more MVS at that point. Yep, more MVS, more Richie James. Like, dude, obviously needs to get right between the dome, like yep. between the ears. Like, you can't make these mental lapses. The same time, the talent's there, and at this point where the Chiefs are out in the season, sorry, Mike Evans is not getting released by the Bucks and coming here, so yep. this is who you got. Yep. So at least throw the talented dudes out there and see what happens. Um, I, I like seeing him run at the backfield, though. Again, I, I've said for a while now I've been frustrated with the usage because they wanted to like save him, but they're going to use him as a running back. So confusing. But, but the fact they started getting him more in the field, they go, okay, I can, I can handle using him in both ways. Yes, absolutely. That's fine with me. I, absolutely. I, I just want to see him use as a receiver as well. As a real receiver, not just a gadget receiver. And Rasheed Rice looks really, really good, man. And even early, as the game progressed, he had two plays that were very similar in the red zone, right? He had one where he didn't flatten out in a wrap to yep. give Mahomes an ability to, to see him in the end zone, so it was a throwaway. Then the second time what happened, he gave him a spot, and it was an easy touchdown. I'm just sitting here going, yes, he's learning, and this yes. is in-game. Growth. This is growth in-game. Like he, he didn't make the same mistake twice. That, to me, and again, you're going to make mistakes as a rookie. That's why I don't have a ton of fault with Rasheed Rice if he has an issue yep. lining up. Kadarius Tony, you're, you've been in the NFL three years now. Like, I know it's silly to say a rookie mistake like you should know, but still, a lot of times you get one. You've yep. been three years. You've only been traded from the Giants. They said, you know, we don't want to deal with you. 
Like you gotta know where to line up, and I get it. He's lined up that way what five times they well, said in that game. So here's here's the thing. So on one level, let's come back to the offsides alignment. The the play you just mentioned, the target to Rice in the end zone that he didn't flatten out, so it was just incomplete out of the back of the end zone. Nate Tice from the Athletic tweeted out the clip just uh, earlier this afternoon, and Patrick Mahomes, right before the snap, is having to show and tell Rasheed Rice and Kadarius Tony where to line up. Hmm. And it's both of them. One's a rookie, one is not. But he's working on their alignment before the snap. And man, you're the quarterback of the team. You got enough bleep going on. You you have enough thing. You're trying to. You need to see what the, how the defense is aligned. <laughs> not look over and wonder if your receivers are where they're supposed to be. You're used to saying, "Hey, there's a blitz coming. Let's let's move the offensive line alignment." Not, "Hey, wide receivers, let me draw on my hand like it's right. backyard football. Here's the route I want you to run." And it's not him. Checking into a different play or making an adjustment, it is literally no. You're no, no, no. You are on the line. You're off the line. How how on earth are we still doing this in December? This isn't week one, week two, week three. It's it's not Tony's first few games. It's December, and we're still doing this. Um, on Tony's alignment on the offsides, um, Nate Taylor made a great point um, uh, when when we were talking about that being a consistent part of where Tony ended up all game. The Orlovsky video is interesting and kind of damning because, um, hey, Tony was offsides. Don't line up off offsides. All right, that's my blanket statement on the front end. Don't line up offsides. Correct, correct, get, correct. Get lined up correctly. Communicate with the ref more directly and don't line up offsides. Gotcha. But when you are lining up that way the entire game and then you and you have no communication with the referee, which is a real break in precedent. That's really not how that's been officiated throughout the history of the NFL leading up until Sunday. Sure. But when when you hear nothing from the refs, you're lining up that way the whole time. One, there is a, a burden on the refs to have that communication. That's what Andy was so pissed about. But secondarily, hey man, Dan Orlovsky checked the tape and saw Tony lining up offsides every time he was in the slot, more or less. Does Connor Embry have an iPad? It, does does one of the bajillion quality control assistants uh, up up in the uh, up in the booth do they do they have a Microsoft Surface? Because you have all of these detail oriented positions, all these detail issues with the team. Whose job is it to make sure you've got eleven guys on the field and that everyone's lined up legally? Apparently, it was Carl Sheffers. Like that that is that is genuinely frustrating. And uh, Steve Walls asked a great question in pressers today of Patrick Mahomes, saying, "You know, you guys talked when Eric Bieniemy was here about how he was all about the attention to details, and not, not even just him like being a fire breathing, you know, red hot guy, but like." Details, 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 and he'll get on you if you screw up the details. And so he asked Mahomes, like, so who, who stepped up into that role? And Mahomes' answer was this sort of winding answer of, I believe, most likely truthfulness, of, well, we hold each other accountable, we all care about the details. <laughs> um, you, you had guys who were coaching when EB was here, you know, Matt Nagy, now he was here with, with BNME, and so he, you know, he's the OC now, and so we just all really hold each other accountable. So long story short is, uh, no one. It's not. Not a guy who stepped into that role. And if you can't find that anywhere, and again, I am I am so far from, like, super traditional football guy who just wants a head coach who's going to scream at his players. I don't, I don't think that's the way to live. But if you are having some sort of void in terms of attention to detail as a football team that keeps having issues with attention to detail, 
How would we talk about this team if Andy Reid was not the head coach? If Matt Nagy was the head coach? If Andy Reid retired last offseason, and this was the first year without Andy Reid, and it was it was Matt Nagy as head coach OC and all the same crew everywhere else. The vibes on the defensive side are great. The performance on the defensive side is great. The details on the defensive side are great. Jerry Sneed gets penalties for reasons everyone understands. It's about yeah, hand placement and striking yeah. at the line of scrimmage. Part of the game. On offense, there's so many sloppy things that end up being a part of the problem. And I think I think Andy Reid's name, and I'm not saying it's like Andy Reid's fault. There's not really a take in here. I'm just kind of talking through it. But Andy Reid's name, Andy Reid is it. And Nate also asked a question to, to, to Andy on Monday. Like he, His reputation is a detail-oriented coach. So why why aren't those details being met? And I think there are many, many, many answers at play. But unfortunately, it's the question shouldn't really be why are the details not being met. It should be how many things have gone poorly for the details to ultimately not be met. Because a lot of people share responsibility there. I think it would actually be funny if Spags would have been the head coach this season because you'd say, wow, the defense is electric. I wish he had a good OC. Yep. That's what it would be. <laughs> like, seriously, if you, that's a really good point you made. Like, if it was Matt Nagy, I think we'd all be confused with anything. But and losing our minds. Losing our minds. If it was Spags, we'd say, all right, well, the Demons is a great. If he gets an OC this offseason, things will be great. That's serious. I, I mentioned this another time, and, and Spags was the example I, I use all the again. Make, make Spags the, the head coach slash defensive play caller, and, you know, Joe Cohen can be the defensive coordinator and D line coach, but the exact same dude, or Dave Merritt, the exact same dudes. And yes, we will be talking about the offensive coaching staff letting them down. And again, you got a first year position coach at quarterback, running back, and wide receivers coaches. That I don't know. I don't know if uh, David Girardi has been good for Mahomes or not. I don't know if Connor Embry has been good for the wide receivers or not. The running backs have been pretty good. Todd Pinkston, but also first year there, so it can work. It can not work. Whatever. I asked Isaiah Pacheco about that a few months ago, and he said it doesn't matter who the coach is. It's more about the players. Sort of a, I was surprised by that answer. Um, honesty. It's an honest, honest answer from running back. I do think that to an extent. Like, I know I'm going to come off as a Connor Embry apologist. I'm not, because I don't know for sure. I don't think anyone will ever know for sure. My thing is, if like MVS has had some massive regression, yeah. and if you want to say, oh, that's, that's Connor Embry because he's the difference, I'm sitting here going, that's a veteran. He shouldn't need a wide receiver coach in Correct. year six in the NFL to figure out where to where to be. Kadarius Tony should know where to line up. He's played the NFL his entire. He's played the football his entire life. You know where to line up. Uh, Sky Moore is the one where I'm like, okay, this yeah. might be a, an interesting one because Sky Moore actually has regressed and he's in his second year, and you would think you might have a little more uh, minds to be molded. Yes, and that might make some sense there. But then Rasheed Rice's look good, so. The Chiefs have had wide receiver issues, whether it's drafting, development, or scouting. Um, pretty much the entire time of the Mahomes era, Tyreek Hill's been the only outlier, if you will. Yep. Um, like, again, does it come from scouting, development? I've asked this question many times, and it's obviously going to be a mixture of all. But I, I feel like blaming just Connor Embry is a little, again, I'm not an apologist. I don't know the dude, but I'm just saying it feels a little unfair to all blame this on one guy right. when in reality we're all trying to find a scapegoat and a reason why, oh, if you have a different wide receiver coach, the Chiefs are 13-0. and Like, that's realistically not the case here. And, and that's why I say there's there are plenty of places you can point the finger and, and direct some blame. I would ask specifically with Embry, like, what what has gotten better? Who has he made better? Yes. And again, with, with Rasheed Rice, there's something there, but also, like, the Chiefs have put so much into, like, the way that he's getting used right now. A lot of that's about using his skills and his talents, and he's still lining up in the wrong spots. It, yeah. it, it has been an undisciplined, undetailed team, and I think, in general, that's going to reflect on coaching, typically. And I will also say, but it hasn't just been wide receiver. 
Jawan Taylor, Donovan Smith as well. But yep. I will also mention, at least uh, in fairness, they were undisciplined before they came to Kansas City. Right. Two guys who were heavily penalized, especially Donovan Smith. I, I made the case, and no one wanted to listen to me when it happened. And everyone's like, no, Sterling last year was an outlier. I go... Yeah, this entire NFL career, he's had basically double, he's been averaging nearly double digit penalties. Mm-hmm. Why would that change? No, it well, doesn't. Andy, that's, baked, but, that's baked into his to his cost. I mean, it's why he was, what, a $3 million ultimate yeah. signing there? So. But it's one year more season, and that's what we care about. We will take a quick break. Two franchises who might be in more turmoil in Kansas City. Well, there's a lot more than two, but two I really want to hit on after this. More home stretch coming up. Kyle looks what he's doing back there. Spin on the tracks. It's for you. He actually legitimately has. beer and coffee mugs, water bottles, and soda cups. Wait. This is like my life. Windows this is This is a top five front bottom song for me. There is also a specific, like, acoustic, like, version that's only on YouTube somewhere mm-hmm. that is the best, best version, and uh, it rules. So thank you, Kyle. This one's number one for me. I have not heard this acu- acoustic version. Oh, brother, I will text you it. right now. Let me go find it. It is, like, semi-hard to find. I don't know. It, it was, like, they did it. It might have been a live version that got, like, re-uploaded at some point. I'm on it. If you've never drinking beer out of a coffee cup, uh, I recommend it. Good flow. That song is called The Beers, by the way. So Dude, go check that, that out. That song was meant for me. Yeah, go listen to The Beers. And uh, The Beers special version, I think, is the one on YouTube. That, yep, here we go. Mm. Four minutes. Let me text you to you, Kyle. Uh, you know what's not special? Apparently the Steelers, that's what Ben Roethlisberger has to say, saying maybe the tradition of the Pittsburgh Steelers is done. Uh, he said on his on his podcast, Footballin' with Ben Roethlisberger. Can this guy, I'm, I'm done with him, man. Like, I know I'm bringing this up, obviously, but he's the most back-in-my-day type of guy I've ever seen. He's the biggest, like, curmudgeon. The, 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 the lack of awareness on a guy who the tail end of his career really derailed the Steelers. Yeah. And, like, he doesn't realize that, and all he does is take shots at everyone else. Like, he's taking shots basically at Mike Tomlin saying to me, that's bad coaching, even though Mike Tomlin is clearly one of the best coaches in football. Um, It blows my mind that this guy just has zero awareness. I just learned he has a podcast. Footballing. Footballing? Oh, hold on, hold on. Oh, God. So I haven't seen it. Yeah. Is I think it, it's is spelled, it, yeah. Well, so it's either short, it's either a, a footballing with an apostrophe, or I think, I'm guessing now, that somehow in either the name or in the cover art, it is actually football all in. Which F-O-O-T-B-A-H. one is it? O O T B A H. L I Oh, I guess it's like a, that's like a Yinzer thing, like a then, Yinzer, right? Yeah. Okay, fine. Uh, yeah, I'm. Look, the, Alex Smith's response to Tom Brady and that whole uh, little shenanigans 
was exceptional. And in this case, yeah, for Ben Roethlisberger to look back at the like the exact same head coach he had, and to now be the soothsayer of doom and gloom for the Steelers, and again, like coaching is weird. I don't know. There's, uh, it, it, it's it's a little bit of a bummer. For, uh, it makes me a little sad when Brady does it, and it just makes me roll my eyes when when Roethlisberger does it. Sure, but like there's a little bit of the oh yeah, back in my day, X Y Z was all so different, and the game was so much better, and whatever. I, I just don't have a tremendous amount of energy for that. There there are reasonable things you can say about like practice time and tackling technique and all of that, but again, when you're looking at it objectively, again, I think it was Nate Tice again, who I'm just going to reference twice a show, I guess, but who said, actually, my hottest NFL take is that tackling has never been better. Like, go back and watch older film of guys getting juked in open space. Your, your form tackling and your linebacker hits might not be as good, but in terms of, like, a defensive back in space, you expect guys to make one-on-one tackles in space now. That's nuts. That was not how it used to be back in the olden days of, like, 2014 in the Chiefs. <laughs> And, like, do an end around, get a guy one-on-one outside, and it's an auto-touchdown. Yeah, like, exactly. Now, now it's Absolutely. like, oh, yeah, from Traverius Ward to Legereus Need to even Trent McDuffie now, who's a smaller cornerback, you're yep. going, oh, yeah, dude, that he's getting brought down. And I just, I think that, here's here's a big philosophical take for you, okay? I think that more often than not, the angle you take at a in a tone like what Brady has said and Roethlisberger there and, and a lot of those sort of older football guys back in my daying it, I think the way you are viewing it says more about you than it does the current state of the sport. Yeah, because if you are Tom Brady or Ben Roethlisberger and you're thinking, man. Brady got rules changed for him, so he might be a worse example for this. Literally, go, go back another generation. You know, if you're if you're Dan Marino, you could say, "Man, I would have I would have played a lot longer with some different rules about protecting the quarterback." And the passing game is so embraced now that I would have thrown for six thousand every. And man, I would have loved to have played in this game. But isn't it awesome to watch Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow do it in this era? And yeah, my my Dolphins defense across from me, they would have given some current offenses some trouble. There would have been some hits over the middle they would not have been comfortable with. But also, those dudes were not keeping up with Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Like it's, I just don't know why that's so hard. But really quickly, please appreciate my era. Well, I appreciate your era. Can we all do that? By the way, Allen Iverson in the NBA is the absolute best at this. That's cool. He's like uh, he's like the uncle that everyone just like you're like oh. Dude, I want him to come to my party. Like, yeah. like, he's cool. Like Allen Iverson embraces everyone in the new NBA. It's really cool. On the other but, side, Kevin Durant and like Devin Booker. I'm a Suns fan, obviously. They're both kind of like old men in their soul in terms yeah. of a, a basketball knowledge. They they love and idolize the old the older game. And then certainly, you know, as they're coming up in like the Kobe sure. era and everything, that you can have an appreciation for past and future eras, regardless of when you played. But just with Dan Marino, because I did have a chance uh, a little bit ago to talk with. Oh him. yeah, sure. And, and he does a really good job of, I think. The Nick Bolton limited in practice today. Just making a note. Limited. Okay. Limited today. Um, Probably just bring it back to uh, but but Dan Marino was cool about it because I remember asking him. I said, "Do you think you would have thrown for six? And He goes, "Well, since I don't have to prove it, I'll say yeah." Right. It, it wasn't like a case of he is trying to sell you on. Oh, I'm throwing easy. It, it was like a joke of, well, you know what? I don't have to prove it, so yeah, I'll say I'll throw for six. Like when you have the sort of. Um, Ability to joke about it and not yes. take yourself so serious and be like, "Well, of course I would have." Like, I like that about Dan. Like, I like when older players understand it was a different game. It's a different game now, but also understand, you know what? The players today are great too. Yes, it's, it's just 
different. And by the way, the fact the Steelers are seven and six with that atrocious roster, shocking. And, and, and Rutherford has the audacity to call it the coaching. Great point. To me, is hilarious. Great take. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Big Ben. You think you're going to go what ten and three with that? Are you serious? Absurd. Rack them. Rack them. Yeah, it's a great take. And again, it the sport has evolved in so many ways. I, I think, and there, this might just be that I like football more than other sports, and so this might not be true. But it, to me, it seems like the, the evolution of football is easier to see than in other sports, or at least it's it's a, it's the most pleasant version. Modern basketball has so much outside shooting that there's a little less technicality to the inside, but the players have never been better. Baseball, it's so much hit a dinger or strike out, not really a big deal. Three true outcomes. That, that, right. That I I think I think that. That might be a poorer evolution from a viewer standpoint, but you understand why the game has evolved the way that it has. Sure. The NFL has the advantage of the game evolving analytically in a way that's more fun, where you do air it out a little more, and hey, look, you want to keep your stars healthy, so keep your quarterbacks as, as healthy as you can? Well, you're going to make it even easier to have more offense. People generally like offense. Then this year, you have a little regression. Defenses are back. Running the balls back a little bit more. There's an ebb and flow to all of that, and to ever pretend that there's like this is the, this to me is the, the the biggest flaw of former players not being able to to hold all of this at once. When you say, "Well, I played in the one true version of football, baseball, yeah. basketball, whatever," but when I played, that's how it was supposed to be played. You didn't say that about. Football in the 1940s was that not the way it was supposed to be played? Yeah. When you would pass the ball with two hands and just throw it up for a jump ball, like is is that what you're yearning for? Because it's very very different. Every every ten years of the NFL is pretty substantially different. Maybe you sure. need to make it 15 to not have the same quarterbacks a few times. Shout out to Brady and Manning, but that evolution is awesome. And I don't I I hope that in 25 years I'm not talking about how oh man well football football when Patrick Mahomes was playing was the purest best most technical most precise version of football and therefore it's one true football because. Dude, if there's some NFL film stuff from the 80s on NFL Network, I will sit there and leave that thing on because there oh, I will yeah. see some awesome stuff you might not see in the modern NFL. And the NFL in 20 years is going to look different too, and I'm excited for that also. Running backs are going to matter so much more than any other position in, in 20 years from now. If that happens, <laughs> if that happens, I will not make it the death knell of football. I'll say, wow, this is really different. And I loved watching Patrick Mahomes, but I, I hope I'm never looking at, at whatever the modern game is and saying, Oh man, well that's just worse. I don't even I don't even enjoy it anymore. But yeah, like baseball, this is a decent art. There's a real argument you can yeah. make because it's it, of and the way it's and evolved. they're even trying to like baseball yes. is having an issue where they're trying to make it more singles. Look, we're gonna open up the infield for you just a yep. little bit. We're gonna make it quicker, faster. And football's like we'll do it naturally because that's what the analytics tell us. Why yep. baseball took the analytics and used it to their advantage, right. it might become a more boring quote-unquote game. Same thing with the NBA, a quote-unquote more boring game because it's threes and layups instead of the mid-range game. No more Rip Hamilton out there. Right. No more Tayshawn Prince and Chauncey Billups. 2004 Pistons that were so fun to watch. Now Vladimir Rodmanovich is every guy. Every team has <laughs> right. that. I love Vladimir Rodmanovich. So great, Paul. I'm sure he had no idea he was getting pulled in or Wally Zerbiak, Wally World for uh, for the Timberwolves, right? And you also, there's still room for outliers in all of sports. The, the Titans made it to an 
AFC Championship game with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. Yeah. Like, that. that's still available to you. Again, Suns fan, especially when it was Devin Booker and, and Chris Paul. Still plenty of mid-range basketball in my life, but it's, it's not the way the sport has necessarily evolved. I, I think having variety in sports is also great. I, I do want to have... I, I loved watching Will Levis. Like I don't, I don't want to build my team around Will Levis, but hell yeah, I'll watch Baker Mayfield's brain and Cam Newton's body. Like That yeah. sounds like a great fun time for me. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to watch Josh Allen be Brett Favre's brain, allegedly, in Cam Newton's body. You know, like I, li- I like a big, reckless, physical running quarterback, and... There's room for all of that because I also yeah. love watching Patrick Mahomes. I love watching Joe Burrow. Like that to me, the, the current state of the quarterback position is how I still feel good about like my general takes on the NFL. Because even even the the okay quarterback play has some fun stuff going on. And even Tommy DeVito, who looks yes. like he should never play football in his life, looked like it really was you or me out there. And now yep. all of a sudden, he looks decent. I still think the NFC Player of the Week was a little bit. Uh, he threw for 158 yards, but but. Still, it, it, it makes me laugh. Did any other NFC teams play this yeah, week? Like, who played? Uh, I guess they're tired of Brock Purdy. I he's guess he's the NFC. He was definitely unquestionably he was the NFC New York quarterback player of the week no, for sure. Zach Wilson was the AFC. AFC. Oh yeah, the NFC. Yeah, yeah good call. Because listen, honestly, man, if we're being very super real, the AFC New York quarterback of the week should have been Josh Allen. So I mean, I don't know. Zach Wilson had to have a really good game. <laughs> he did. Um, he did. he he. Was, that's a that's like a lifetime achievement, but like out of yeah. surprise, you no, know. No, no, Zach Wilson just was like. Guys, I have to have a good game. He went and was like, guys, okay, this is my last chance. I want to get out of New York. The Jets are a dumpster fire. I'm going to put this on tape. Everyone's going to think I'm good. I'm playing one game and one game only. Now, please, someone pick me up. I will not play another game. Remember that game, that last game? Look, AFC quarterback, player of the week. Come on now. He went to Aaron Rodgers in the dark. He walked in and he said, I'm ready. He goes, Panthers. Play- well, maybe not the Panthers because they're also. Uh, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Baker. You, you you want Baker or do you want me? I'm a younger guy. Uh, he, uh, he had a one-game Zach Wilson was thriving in Tampa. Uh, no, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. Well, maybe Mike Evans. Off the field. Ah. Nails. Um, <laughs> he, he walked up to Aaron Rodgers in the dark and he said, I'm ready, Aaron. I, this is my last chance. I'm I'm ready. And he said, are you sure? And he said, yeah, it's time. And then Aaron Rodgers handed him some ayahuasca, and then he went out there and played the best game of his life, at least since facing the Chiefs defense inexplicably. Uh, Tommy DeVito, by the way. You did the hand thing when you said well, his name by accident. This is I was why like, I'm bringing it up. This is why I'm bringing it up. Capicola. Um, I think that was racist. He's doing it. I think when you did it, it's racist. When I do it. You said Capicola. That way. I, don't know. I, didn't I say, like Capicola. Didn't say it right with me. I like Capicola. Capicola. Okay, come on now, guy. Uh... <laughs> Okay, Sopranos. Okay, Michael Scott. No! I, like, the agent in the suit. Oh, with brother, the can we fedora, talk about him? Yes. I'm not going to lie. It's lie kind me. of funny. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Is it also so overdone now that I'm, I'm kind of over it? Yeah, like. Yeah, but that's just. that's You're too online. That's just a media cycle. I I got in here on Monday and asked. Or I guess Tuesday, because it was Monday night, right? Um, I was like, Jason, the juicy. Tommy DeVito's agent. And at that point, like, I knew his agent's social security number. Like, I was at, I was, I had been fully saturated by Tommy DeVito's agent. And Jason was like, what? No, he missed it. Because I was watching the main cast, whatever, they were showing more of the clips. And so I think if you are still learning about Tommy DeVito's agent, it's the best. Yeah. Once it has been 
mainlined at you for a while. I mean, like on the Manning cast, Peyton said twice because he didn't get the laugh he wanted the first time. So they're showing the Tommy DeVito's agent, Tommy DeVito's family section more often than they show the uh, the suite at Chiefs games. Like he he, yeah, he sure. took two passes at that joke yeah, yeah. just just to make sure everybody heard it, and uh, and it was freaking hilarious. I'm still doubled over from my gut busting open from how funny that was and how hard I laughed. But like that's. People get fatigued by overrun sure. of stories in the same song. How many songs have you loved the first three times you heard them on the radio, then you heard them 15 more times, and you're like, mm, this isn't for me? Oh, hundreds. Every Chainsmoker song. Wow, that's a great. That's exactly it. Yeah. That's every Chainsmoker. Uh, have they made new music I in a no very idea. long time? But, like, the agent kissing the, the Tommy DeVito's dad on the cheek, like, it's like... Some reunion? Like, come on, guys. You know, they probably are all friends. They probably hung out before. Like, Dude, he was Tommy DeVito's agent before. It was Tommy Cutlets, though, right? I, I, I mean, I feel like I'm getting yelled like. It, <laughs> it's so come on. It just feels like I'm getting yelled at. Hey, I'm walking here. Like that's what it feels like every time. Like if I, I will say the suit was nice. If you actually saw the pin strap, like he spent money on that suit because you apparently can, has thirty custom suits. Well, you know how I know it's a nice one. You can tell with these ones, like these Italian suits. Can I guess? Can I say what I think it is? Yeah. Is it the pinstripes lining up over the the little accent folds and stuff? Yeah, all that stuff. It, it lines up. It, that means that when you get it done, it was a lot of. I'm a big suit guy. Okay, big suit guy. I'm like not a big suit guy, like not like a Steve Harvey suit, but like uh, yeah. I like my. Suits. I know I'm not a suit guy. That's what I was trying. To, is, is that was nice. that your yeah, yeah, the pinstripes lining up through yeah. all the stitching and yeah, stuff? I was kind of impressed by that. Thank so, you. Uh, I, I want to impress you when I get a chance. I guess I'm just a little over it, but that's yeah, fine. that's fine. People that's get over fine. stuff all the time, uh, which seems like the Patriots are over Bill Belichick. And when he was asked about it, I'm over this segment. Uh, I'm getting ready for Kansas City. Yeah, I'm getting ready for the next segment. All right, Briscoe's going to stick with us. I guess we don't have a Bill Belichick talk yet. That's fine. We can do it. I just thought it was probably break time. I was looking at the clocks and thinking it's about time. We, we, we hit the break, come back, we talk about move on to Kansas City. Hey, Kyle, I'm ready for the next segment. All right, Briscoe, take us home with this or that. Let's do it. I didn't know. Bill Belichick probably... We'll have a job if he wants one anywhere. Okay, you, you're, to answer your previous you, Your hat is the front bottoms. Yes, sir. Front or bottom? Uh, front. Mm, okay, good call. Uh, are the 49ers the only great team in the NFL this season? Probably. I, I think the Cowboys have a shot to to do a little, make a little noise, but they're also the Cowboys. So. I almost just yak, dude. Um, no chance. Okay, well, you should watch what they've done since they got their bleep caved in by the Niners. They've been really good. Yeah, they they beat one team with a, with a winning record all season long. Yeah, that, which is and it's super easy to do that to beat teams that you should beat. Apparently, tell tell the Chiefs. Yeah. Uh, are okay. So the Ravens are the best in the AFC. Do we agree there? Uh, that's where I'm at right now. Yes. Okay. Who was the second best team in the AFC? Probably the Chiefs. Still think so? Probably. Okay. Uh, Miami's flawed. The Chiefs are flawed. The Bills are flawed. The Bengals are hurt. Did I miss an obvious one? Is there a... Um, it's, it's Baltimore. The, Ra- the the Browns are 8-5, but no one believes yeah, them. No. I think the Chiefs are the second best team in the AFC, which here's my next hot take. And I Don't think getting hurt on offense, This is basically too. you agree or disagree. The Bills are the third best team in the AFC. I think they're like... No, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to give that edge to Miami still, but I would not want to see Buffalo in the playoffs. Who wins the AFC East, Miami or, or or the Bills? By the way, Miami is two games up. They have a much harder schedule to finish they the do. season. And they play each other one more time, and whoever wins that game most likely wins the AFC East. 
I'm still going to go ahead and give it to Miami there, but I have absolutely no strong feelings about any of the questions you've asked about them. It really so far. Like, it's yeah. all that close. Who wins the AFC South? Jacksonville, Colts, or Texans? Jacksonville is one game up, but again, yeah. they looked brutal. Trevor Lawrence came back from the from the injured ankle, but he didn't look good. Well, neither did the Texans. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and give it to Jacksonville. They're, oh. they're the team. They're the team pointing in the wrong direction, sort of similar to the Dolphins. And who has been there all along? Minshew Mania. I would love for Minshew Mania to make it to the playoffs. I would Dude, love that. Every single one of their games is wild. You have no yes. idea what's going to like. No game is the same, but yet they're all the same. That's what we're talking about earlier with the quarterback play. Gardner Minshew might be the 20th quarterback in football, but hot dang, he's fun to watch. Who wins the NFC South? Tampa, Atlanta, and Saints, all 6-7. and seven. They all have a very easy schedule to finish out. And oh, by the way, they all play each other. I feel like it's probably Tampa, but I wish it was Atlanta. The Saints can bleep <laughs> off, dude. Dude. The Saints can bleep off. I have the Saints winning that division because I keep saying Derek Carr's – it's a car that doesn't run. He's like, my least favorite like, quarterback like, to watch in football right so now. So I have a very, like, um, southern Indiana family. Very, I agree. I agree with that. A very southern Indiana family. And what, what do they do in the countryside? Kind of a little, little redneckish. Yeah, you, what, what, what do they do? They have a lot of cars that don't run. Like, you'll just see it in the yeah, lawn. Sure. Like, like, like buses, because you never know when you're need that, that bus. You get it up and running now, and you know, you might want to use the shelf or something. And that's Derek Carr. You might, yeah. you might need that car at some point. But let's be real, you're never going to use it. You have a better chance with Jameis Winston. I 100% agree with that. I just don't like watching Derek Carr on that offense. All which right. is too bad.